Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Dr. Jay Calvert sitting here today on a somewhat cloudy afternoon in April. Gloomy, I would say. It is. It's a little gloomy. I'm not a fan. Here with Dr. Millicent Ravello, <laughs> who's not a fan. How are you doing, Dr. Ravello? I'm doing okay. Weather aside. Yeah, it's isn't you know, it weird. It's like end of april in los angeles and this weekend was beautiful and gorgeous and this whole week has just been meh totally i don't like it not a fan yeah no we don't pay these taxes to live here to have this kind of weather have a gloomy april what's up with that no we're gonna i'm gonna have to speak to gavin newsom about this (laughs) and see what he says (laughs) recall him (laughs) definitely weather sucks we're not paying anyone today We're going to talk about a topic that is, uh, I hate this term, but I have to say it, Asian rhinoplasty. Yes, because that's what it is, and it definitely requires a specific, unique approach. So it does deserve its own title. It does, but I think what Asian rhinoplasty refers to is not... Like, like Asia is a big place. I don't know if you've been to Asia, but like I, I wouldn't want to paint it. It's a large continent, yes. <laughs> to quote Stephen Wright. So, but there's lots of different peoples in Asia, right? Yes. Most people, when they refer to Asian rhinoplasty, are talking about rhinoplasty that typically would be uh, raising of the bridge of the nose, narrowing of the alar base, creating some more tip projection. It's for... Uh, people from China and Japan mm-hmm. and Korea and yes. you know Cambodia and, and Thailand, where it a lot of times it could be affected with a dorsal implant of some kind right. and maybe some ear cartilage, etc. But and that that's what I think of as Asian rhinoplasty. But I, I don't like it because like you know India's in Asia, like yeah. and so is you know lots of other places. Kazakhstan's in Asia, yeah. And Kazakhstani people, some need that type of an operation and some need an operation more like they're, you know, from Ireland. You know, right. it's like there's there's all sorts of people. So I don't like to just kind of lump everybody in. It's Asian rhinoplasty. Yeah. So we're talking, I would say, probably more East Asian. Otherwise, you're getting more towards the Middle Eastern look. Exactly. So, so th- this is mostly for people that have a low bridge. That have wide alar base and yes. not a, not great tip definition. Correct, and this is a big thing, especially in Asian countries. Rhinoplasty is huge. Most common operation being Most performed. Most common in China, especially Korea. Korea has huge numbers of rhinoplasty, yes. and so this is a very well discussed, written about topic. And the techniques vary widely between surgeons, between countries. But I think when we're talking about the specific Eastern Asian rhinoplasties that you referenced, you mentioned the most common denominators, which are that they tend to have a low bridge. That means that the side profile of the nose sits low on the face and usually needs a little bit of augmentation to project it off the face. They have a wider alar base, which means the base of the nose tends to be wider and a little broader and needs to be addressed. Um, and then tip projection usually needs to be addressed as well. Other thing you have to talk about with them is their skin, too, the quality of the skin. For sure. I mean, there's, uh, there's a couple of really important factors in performing Asian rhinoplasty of the ilk we are speaking of. First of all, the bridge is low, the base is wide, 
the tip is amorphous, rounded, doesn't have a whole lot of definition. And the desire is to create some varying degree of more definition, height to the bridge, etc. And everybody has a different request. Yes. I mean, some people want like a much more Caucasian nose. They want to have a bridge. They want to have a tight little tip. They want to really uh, narrow the base. And others want to say, want to do just a little bit of change. Right. Just, no, just I want it a little narrower. I want a little bit of this. And so you have to really get into the mind of your patient to really understand what they're looking for or you're going to overshoot it or undershoot it one way or the other. Yeah, because it's, it's going to vary on a spectrum. Some of them want to keep the ethnic look of their nose, and ethnic's probably not the best word, but whatever it is specific to their background, they want to keep it unique to them, and they don't want to have a Caucasian nose stuck on their face. No. But Which some patients probably do. They can look a little odd, a little <laughs> yes, off-putting. <laughs> I mean, some people want that. But some people do. I mean, I, some people bring in pictures. I mean, okay, the most extreme case was a 74-year-old guy with rhinophyma who brought in pictures of Meghan Markle. That that has happened. I think I've mentioned that before. <laughs> but, but I do see some people bring in pictures that you're just like, that's not happening. No, like, I, not I have had women bring in pictures of men. And, you know, I've had Asian women bring in pictures of white men and say, I want this nose. I'm like, that is not going to happen. <laughs> no, that can't be. It is not how you're built and it's not going to happen. And then I've had people, you know, bring in stuff that's like almost looks exactly the same. And they talk about very small subtleties. So you have to get that spectrum. You and the patient have to agree. They have to, you have to be on the same page. This is what we're shooting for. Yes. Yes. And I always say, give me your top three things. I want to hear the top three. Like when this is over, what do you want? I want a bridge that's, you know, a few millimeters higher, more definition. And I want the, the base narrowed. Great. Okay. We yeah. got it. We can work with that. Yeah. So then what is your approach? Let's start with the dorsum. So how do you address the low dorsum? Otherwise known as the bridge of the nose. Otherwise known as the bridge of the nose. So there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, you can use a dorsal implant, which I have. I do probably once every two to three years where you use a silicone implant. It's very infrequent in my hands. What causes you to use that? When would you use that? I would use it when they failed dice cartilage and fascia, which is the most common way that I create bridges is with dice cartilage and fascia. And then you can also use a hard carved rib. Um, it's just a big piece of rib that you whittle down into a, some boat-shaped graph and put on the bridge, which I haven't done since I was a resident in 1997. <laughs> so that, so not your go-to technique. That's not my go-to <laughs> technique. I've changed. Um, but the, the truth is, is that there are a lot of different ways. Now, I will tell you the story. Um, in 2018, when I went to China, and uh, I was in Shanghai at the Mai Lai Hospital, and there was a floor dedicated to rhinoplasty. Oh, wow. One whole floor. <laughs> and there were 20 rooms and six LRs or something like that. Maybe it was three LRs but, but, or six between two floors, something like that. But they had three on that floor. And they only do dice cartilage and fascia graft and rib cartilage for Asian rhinoplasty in that hospital. 
And I said, what happened to dorsal implants? They said, no, we like your operation. <laughs> and then you should call it the Jake Helbert wing. <laughs> well, they'd be Daniel and Galbert because it was, it was Rollin, Daniel and I that t- together really came up with that technique. And that technique has withstood the tut- the te- not only withstood the test of time, but it's like the gold standard the in gold China. The gold standard of it. Yeah, Which I mean, that's how people do that it. Before that was very heavy into implants. It was not uncommon to see a patient who had an Asian rhinoplasty in China or Korea or whatever with a dorsal implant. Yeah, a dorsal implant was the most common operation. The most common plastic surgery operation in the world was silicone dorsal implant. Takes about 15 minutes to put it in. Very easy. Little local anesthesia around the nose. Little incision up uh, in the uh, intercartilaginous position, maybe a little bit onto the septum for the hemitransfiction. Spread, spread, spread. Open the, the space on the bridge of the nose. Boom. Put in the implant. Done. Close. Yeah. finished and you've created a bridge for that person yeah, and, it, and it can look nice a hundred percent what's Except the downside what it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> so it can look great and why is it that the my like hospital is only doing dice cartilage and fascia infection Problems. yeah Problems. extrusion necrosis exposure infection too many problems. Too many problems. Somewhere between 2 and 7%, depending on the studies that you read. But if you do, like in China, there are a lot of people. So if you do 200,000, uh, you know, dorsal implants in Shanghai, you know, in one year, and 7% of those people have a problem. It's a big number. That's a big number of people for one city. Right. 14,000 people walking around with a really messed up nose. And not happy with yeah. what... And the fixes are not the easy. fixes are, are hard. Right. And the, the problem is that it's a foreign body being put into an area that is just not adapted to foreign bodies. It's a tight area. There's a lot of really finite structures in there. The blood supply isn't great. So it's just... It's not a great area to... To put a foreign body no and as easy as it is um and, and other materials have been tried gore-tex um you know med which is a disaster Oof, no. i've no. I, you know first of all i've never put gore-tex in anybody i've never put med in anybody and i've done probably six silicone implants in my entire career so that's how infrequently that i use foreign bodies in the nose it, it may be less than six on the silicone <laughs> implants. Now that I'm thinking about it, I can name the patients. Um, but I've taken Gore-Tex out of a lot of people, and I've taken MedPor out of a lot of people, and it's not fun. No, it's it, not pleasant. It leaves behind a mess. And then to fix that mess is a much bigger problem. No, and the extrusions. Oof. Oh, my God. I had an extrusion from on this gal from... Uh, she Well, she had it done in Korea. She was Japanese, but it was done in Korea, and it came right through the tip of her nose l l implant so the l implants i think are a bigger problem so what i'm saying with an l implant it's up the bridge of the nose and then there's a limb that goes between the uh foot plates of the medial crura you know down on the the nostrils and (laughs) you know like doctors do listen to this by the way you know we can use those terminologies but the patients are i guess are just like what what are crura like what Hello, you lost me a crow. I don't know what you're talking about. So the L strut though goes, you know, in that little piece goes in between the foot plates of the of the cartilages in the nostrils. Like this is the columella, which comes from the tip of the nose down to the lip. And that when it's an L, big problem. That's a big problem. Yeah, I, I I just 
I, I've never put an L implant in, and I've put in so few silicone implants. Um, but I, I just, I, I like dice cartilage and fascia. There was a reason that I spent time on that, and there's a reason why, you know, people around the world are converting to that. And now they've added like fiber and glue. Um, there's a guy, uh, Abelion Tasman, who's uh, talked about adding fiber and glue to get a more rigid implant if you really want hard edges. And he just does dice cartilage and fibrin and puts it in like like an implant but it's natural it's natural stuff it's your own cartilage without the fascia but now when you're talking about doing a dice cartilage and fascia graft you're almost by definition taking a rib yeah i mean you, the well septum is so in, a, in yeah. the asian rhinoplasty patient who wants a bridge augmentation and more tip definition Typically, the septum is lacking. lacking. There's barely anything there. There's like a nickel-sized piece of cartilage. So you either have to take ear or rib. And like I said, in in Shanghai, they were doing rib, uh, temporalis fascia. They did not like the rectus fascia. Despite the article that was written by Nazim Cherkish, which I brought up to them, I said, why don't you just get it from the rectus? They said it's too thick. And I found that to be the case... In a few cases where I've, I've, I've used rectus fascia because I've, you know, Nazim wrote this article yeah. and Nazim Turkish is a plastic surgeon from Istanbul who's brilliant. And he said, oh, you know, you're right there. Just take the rectus fascia. Like, why do you have to make another cut? And probably it depends on your patients and I, their skin. I think in thick skin patients, that's fine. It's fine. And that's what I've found. Yeah. And so for Asian patients, it seems like with the thicker skin that you wouldn't need to go with temporalis fascia. Mm. You've already got a cut here on the ribs and the rectus fascia is right there. <laughs> and I've done that many times. I, I do like that in thick skin patients. I, and I'll, I'll use perichondrium. I'll use, um, I'll use rectus fascia. But a lot of times, I don't really love the fascia, so I get temporalis fascia, which I kind of love every single time. Yeah, it's nice. It's great stuff. Yeah. And I know how to use I've done I've done thousands of these graphs now. So for me it's it's the learning curve's over, but I will tell you I can tell you some stories about the learning curve which would make any surgeon go, "Okay, I'm going to pay attention." <laughs> I mean, I had people come and watch I I'll never forget this. I had one guy that came from another country and I won't say which one it is because he'll know who he is and I don't want to I don't want to call him out who he is. <laughs> and he like watched me do one I, had, I was like oh you're in luck I'm doing three next week and he came from like a meeting somewhere else and he's like alright I'm going to fly back to LA with you shows up in the OR and I've got three dice cartilage and fascia graphs on that day by some luck you know I probably do like one every three weeks or something like that maybe less and so he watches the first one he's like oh Got it. Easy, simple. Done. So then, like, I start the second one, and, uh, you know, I'm dicing up the cartilage and making the graft, and he's like, all right. And then, like, he's, like, gone. And then, you know, I was like, well, w- what happened? Like, where where were you? He's like, I got it after the first one. I'm all set. <laughs> I was like, I don't know that you're all set. There's a lot of nuance to this thing. Like, I, I had a hard time with these. Like, there's a learning curve to this. He's like, ah, I got it. I got it. So then he skipped the third one. He was, you know... Talking, talking to Jenny or something, Sarissa, one of my coordinators. Probably more entertaining. <laughs> well, it's kind of like learning about how our practice runs. Definitely more entertaining, without a doubt. So anyway, it was like learning about how the practice runs. And he just ba- bailed on the dice cartilage and fascia graft. Anyway, 
I see him like at the next meeting, like next year. I was like, oh, how'd it go with the dice cartilage <laughs> fashion graft? And he goes, oh, it was a disaster. <laughs> He's like, I had to redo like 10 of them. He's like, I went home and like knocked them out like they were nothing. And he goes, there was just a really, st- I should have stayed in there and watched all three of those with you. I was like, I, I kind of told you that, but. Now we know. Anyway, he finally got it under his belt. And okay. now and now people do it a lot. I mean, I don't know. What's your experience with dice cartilage and fascia? My experience with dice cartilage and fascia really came from you and learning how you do it. Um, I think I've done it on a handful of occasions um, in Asian and African-American rhinoplasties that needed a bridge. That's the sole reason I did it. Um, I think it works really well. Like I, I like it a lot and thank goodness I went through residency and like a mini fellowship with you. So I saw a decent amount of them. Yeah, you have to get the learning curve. How you, how you did them and how you prepared them. Um, and I think they're great. I think they're great, great options. Um, I like them. Yeah. I mean, they, they've, it stayed around. People use them a lot and they, they save the day on a lot of cases. Um, yeah, it's just a good tool and technique to have. That's it. It's not a panacea by any, any stretch of the imagination but also in asian rhinoplasty the reason that people are going to rib is because it's stronger and the skin is typically thicker at the tip on a lot of these patients um i mean if you get thin skin patient you know you're lucky but like the thicker skin patients if you want that tip definition you need to use rib cartilage well that's the thing too because we're talking about well ear versus rib it's not that we just need cartilage for this dice cartilage graph we need cartilage for support of the nose specifically the tip which was the other part of our discussion on what you specifically need need to do for these patients and one of those things is tip support and if you have a flat amorphous tip especially if you have a thick skin envelope you really need something hearty and strong to support that tip and ear is just not going to do it we already said the septum is probably shot so you're you're basically buying yourself a rib graft it works. It works. <laughs> There's a reason you do it. And I, I, you know, I have to like do a study on my pain scales on these ribs because my patients are not complaining about the rib harvest. No. They, I mean, I, we do that muscle sparing technique where you dissect down to the external oblique muscle and you part the fibers and the ribs are right under there. You do a subperichondral dissection. You take out the rib and close up. And my patients are like this. Yeah, they seem to do fine. They are They're not totally fine. complaining because in the old days, and this is where the pain from the rib harvest came from, is they used to cut across the rectus muscle, which you Oof. don't need to do. You just move it out of the way. Just, just move it out of the way. alone. <laughs> if you cut across the rectus muscle, it will, will hurt for months. You will be in some months. pain. Yeah. Yeah, that hurts. It hurts for months. Yeah, there's no need to do that. No. No. So uh, I guess the question is, for your primary Asian rhinoplasties, what percentage are you taking rib? I mean, pretty much all of them. You know, I, I really try to present the option of here's the gold standard. If it has to be something else, let's talk about it. And then what do you tell them in terms of how they can expect their post-operative healing course to go? Because I'd imagine that it's going to be a little bit longer, a little more prolonged from a swelling standpoint than in your thin-skinned Caucasian patient. Not necessarily. I mean, the rib cartilage is not like an issue. You know, people always talk about like, oh, you know, if I get rib cartilage, I'm going to have a big nose. That's not true. (laughs) 
it's like it just depends how you use it. Like, not, it not I'm not going to stuff a the whole rib. Chunk of rib. In there. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm going to have a whole rib in my nose. Oh my god, it's going to be awful. I'm like, no, it's like I'm going to cut into thin grafts and make it pretty. Yeah. And you know, I just use it as a donor site. It's not that I'm like, <laughs> well, we took this rib out. I guess got to put Might the whole well thing in the nose. Well, it's too bad. Their nose is going to be huge. This is rig, big rig, big. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> I mean, it's a reasonable question. I know, but it's like, you know, <laughs> the stuff on the internet is so jacked up. Yes. I mean, the stuff that people write, like, here's an idea. Why don't you ask the experts? Ask people that know this stuff. Yeah. The, it, it's amazing what what people will come in and say to me. Like, it's like from the authority. Oh, yeah. well, I well, read on the internet. Dr. Google. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Google well, said, I, I, so I, it must be true. Because this lady who was on this forum that I read, she said, <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. oh, well, in that case. <laughs> I'm not going to go down. No, the that's a whole. I, I, I just, that's yeah, a whole I rabbit hole for us, too. <laughs> but once again, consult the experts. Yes. Some other people might say, like, there are guys, like, I know from, like, I got a friend in Singapore who does, like, a dorsal implant with silicone, ear cartilage, and does a gajillion of these, you know, Asian rhinoplasties this way, and they look great. So just because I say, like, I like to use rib, doesn't mean you have to get rib. No, I mean, that's what we say all the time. Each surgeon is going to have their own technique and what they feel comfortable with, and as long as you like their outcomes then that's fine. That's right. It's fine. What you see on the website and the Instagram and the and now the TikTok is what's going to happen. It's what's going to happen. It. I know I have this I go through this a lot with uh, my breast reconstruction patients. I'm like if you have 100 plastic surgeons in a room and ask them how they're going to do this reconstruction, you'll get 100 different answers. And guess what? Definitely. All of them are right. All of them are appropriate. All of them probably work well in the hands of those surgeons, and it's just preference. Like they're Plastic surgery is unique in the medical world in that there is no right or wrong answer for any given problem. There is a whole plethora of solutions. And because of that, it's impossible to say, oh, you have to have this, you yeah. have to have that. So like, it, it's misinformation for patients to be told, oh, you can only be done this way. That's not true. Like, you know, I yeah. like rib. It's good I marketing. Like, it's great marketing. <laughs> like, uh, you can only do it my way. Well, if you go anywhere else, it's going to suck. That's for sure. If you don't get a rib, forget it. Your nose is going to fall off. <laughs> it's true. I've never said that, actually. But, I, I mean, it's true. It's like these people, like, they make it like they're the... You know, the end-all, be-all authority. And, like, that's just not so. Like, this is surgery. It is an art and a science. And it is definitely about the, the artist that you are working with and what they're capable of. Look at the before and afters. If you don't like the before and afters, don't pick up the phone. If you look at the before and afters and go, that's exactly what I'm looking for, then call that doctor. Yeah. Because that's what you're getting. What you see on my Instagram, what you see on my social media and my website... That's it. That's what you're getting. Like, you know, it, it's going to be some form of that result for you with your body because that's what I like, you know, and, and whether others like it or not, that that's not relevant. You right. need to like it. Yeah. You know, because I mean, there's some people that I mean, I mean, I'll tell you that there are people that have very different tastes in rhinoplasty than that, that would never want to see what I do. They were just like, no, I don't want that. You know, they want something different. They want it thick, 
chunky, something else, things that I'm, I'm just not, that's not my style. My style is, you know, defined, sculpted, you know, for women, it's like a gentle curve at the nose. It's like, there's a really distinct style that if you ain't interested, go somewhere else, go somewhere else. Yeah. If you want thick and chunky and things like that, like that's not my style. There are people that that is their style. It's great. Yeah. And there are people that totally want that. You know, I think by the time people get to my office, they know what they're looking for and they're going to get that. And it works. So um, Asian rhinoplasty, the other thing we have to talk about is the Eller base reductions. Yes. So these are the wide, for, you know, the, the patients, it's the widened base of the nose that patients typically request to be narrower, smaller. And the only way you can do that is by making a cut. You got to cut. You got to cut. And most of the time that scar heals pretty well. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it's where you place them. I yeah. tend to do much more nasal sill yes. excisions yeah, that's than much I do better. nostril excisions. For sure. I hate those scars. Oh. Up on the side of the nostril. Oh. I can't stand it. No, I don't like those either. There's a better Sometimes way to do it. you have to do it, but it's rare for me. Yeah. Most of the time I'm taking the nasal sill, the space between the calumella, the skin in between the nostrils, and the nostril itself. Yeah, in, yeah. in, this, in the middle. Like, That's right. right. And you bring the nostril in that way. You slide it in. Right. But, you know, if, you're, if your Eller base is 58 millimeters, then, you know, you got to take you gotta some gotta in. Bring it's it too in. wide. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a big part. Tip definition through tip suturing and grafting. And that's Asian rhinoplasty. I mean, they're, depending on how thick the skin is, sometimes when we elevate the skin, we take out the fibro fatty layer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's common in African-American rhinoplasty, um, which we'll do as another topic another day. Um, but it's... You know, I, I and and then revision Asian rhinoplasty is a whole other topic. Too, so we're not going to get into that. But I got a bunch of those coming. Revision up. A- Asian rhinoplasty with a silicone implant, <laughs> extruding through the nose. The extruding implants. We can talk about another time too. That's like a total disaster. And I, I could, I, I have enough of them to write a paper on it. So when are we going to do that? <laughs> You're looking at me. I am looking. At you. We have new fellows coming. They'll do it. They'll, they'd be happy. That's to. right. We have Farion and uh, and Walter coming in July, and one of them is going to jump on that paper. To. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Anything else on Asian rhinoplasty? I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah, I do a ton of them. I mean, I, I, I really love it, um, but it's it stylistically, I, I have a distinct style. I always make sure you look at the before and afters. Cool. Well, in that case, this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is brought to you by Rock Spa. This is Medi Spa, located both in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach, providing services such as Botox, fillers, lasers, and all therapy, as well as hydrofacials and all the aesthetic products you could possibly need. It's run by the medical director, me, Dr. Jay Calvert. Rock Spa Beverly Hills is located at 120 South Spalding Drive in Suite 340, Beverly Hills, 90212. The phone number there is 310-777-0496. And Rock Spa Newport Beach is located at 1617 West Cliff Drive, Newport Beach, California, 92660. The phone number there is 949-640-1111. You can go to their respective websites, 
rockspanewportbeach.com or rockspabeverlyhills.com. Rockspa was created to help my patients maintain their aesthetic beauty in between whatever operations they have throughout their lives. It's something that allows patients to come in, get their facials, skin treatments, take care of all the Botox fillers and lasers that they need to keep up their beauty. And if they've invested in any of the aesthetic operations I perform, it's the way to maintain those operations. If you mention this podcast, you will get the member's pricing for your hydrofacial. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is the way that Dr. Ravello and I talk about the issues that are important to us in plastic surgery, but there's nothing better than getting to take care of our patients and do plastic surgery. Our practices are located in Beverly Hills, and I also have a satellite office in Newport Beach. You can learn about my practice at drcalvert.com, and you can reach my office by calling 310-777-8800, and that will get you an appointment either in Beverly Hills or at the Newport Beach office. My practice is located in Beverly Hills. Our office phone number is 310-954-1355. You can also contact us directly through the website, which is rovelloplasticsurgery.com. We look forward to seeing you in the office for some aesthetic tune-ups.